0: Welcome to the Gaming Ride Home podcast for Monday, February 17th. I am Kyle Hilliard. Here's a whole bunch of video game stuff that happened recently. Today, we see who took home DICE awards. A new PlayStation VR may be in the works to coincide with the PlayStation 5. A Nintendo PlayStation prototype console is up for auction. And the IRS backtracks its initial plans to have taxpayers report their Fortnite V-Bucks purchases. The DICE Awards happened recently, which is a series of awards coordinated by the AIAS, Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, that are held during the annual DICE, Design, Innovate, Communicate, and Entertain convention. It's a lot of acronyms. The awards are curated and voted on by industry professionals, so it's it's generally a well-respected award to receive. The big award, the Game of the Year Award, went to Untitled Goose Game, which I think was pretty surprising, I enjoyed Untitled Goose Game quite a bit, but it it's still surprising to see a smaller indie game take home the you know the big one. Goose Game is uh, super fun, though, so big congrats to Developer House House Games. I'm curious if that studio will make a sequel to Goose Game as a follow up or try something entirely new. I, I'd be happy either way. Other notable winners include Control from developer Remedy Games getting Action Game of the Year, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order getting Adventure Game of the Year, The Outer Worlds getting Role Playing Game of the Year, and uh, there's also uh, Pistol Whip took home Immersive Reality Game of the Year, which I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Pistol Whip. That game is the most fun I've had in VR since Beat Saber. I actually reviewed the game for IGN, so you can track down that review if you want to learn more about my thoughts there. I was also happy to see Baba Is You, a very smart but uh, you know, very frustrating puzzle game, take home the award for Outstanding Achievement in Design. My my personal favorite game of 2019, the Resident Evil 2 remake, sadly did not take home any awards. It's a, it's a remake of a classic game, which I understand kind of holds it back when it comes to considering it for awards. But Capcom really knocked it out of the park. So, you know, my personal congrats to Resident Evil 2. I'm sorry you guys didn't get a DICE award, but uh, you're still a good game. Sony may be working on a new PlayStation VR headset for PlayStation 5. On the last episode of the Gaming Ride Home podcast, I talked about a Bloomberg article from Takashi Mochizuki that hinted about the potential cost of the PlayStation 5. And in that article, Mochizuki's sources also say that Sony is planning a new PlayStation VR headset that will release sometime after the launch of the PlayStation 5. We already know that the PlayStation 5 will be backwards compatible with PlayStation 4 games and will be compatible with the PlayStation 4's PSVR headset, but plans for a new headset, though not entirely surprising, that that is new information. This is not official, so it shouldn't be treated as an announcement by any means, but PSVR has done well for Sony. And there have been some fantastic experiences like Astro Bot Rescue Mission that have released for it. There's also games like uh, No Man's Sky, have received updates to be compatible with it. So there's definitely cool stuff happening on the platform. I'm a VR proponent to like to a certain degree. I still I still generally prefer traditional gaming experiences to VR, but I like my Oculus Quest and I would like to see PSVR get an update. I've had a lot of fun experiences in PSVR, but it is definitely the weakest VR headset among its competition. A Nintendo-PlayStation hybrid system that never left the prototype stages is currently up for auction. There's a strange moment in video game history prior to the release of the PlayStation where Sony and Nintendo were considering working together to release a CD-ROM drive Super Nintendo system that obviously never happened, and that failed partnership in some ways led to Sony entering the video game space, but a handful of prototypes of the system were produced and there is one currently up for auction on the bidding website, Heritage Auctions. At the time of me recording this podcast, the current bid is at $350,000. Owen S. Good reported on the auction for Polygon and writes, The unit in question is the only known surviving prototype of the 200 believed to have been made. It's owned by Terry Diebold, a retired employee of the Advanta Corporation, a company whose CEO was once Olaf Olafson the CEO of what was Sony Computer Entertainment when the prototype was made. Diebold acquired the console, colloquially known as the Nintendo PlayStation, and a lot of other items when the company went bankrupt in 2009. You can actually look at the system. They have a lot of good photos on Heritage Auctions. The system, it has has an interesting look to it. The familiar Sony logo appears on it twice, as well as what appears to be an early take on the PlayStation logo, which doesn't look too different from the finalized version. There's also a standard headphone port on the front with a little volume control dial. The description for the item is extensive and reads, It has not only a slot for Super Famicom and Super Nintendo games, but a CD-ROM drive that was meant to play disc-based media and presumably video games as well. Though the CD-ROM drive was not currently working when it was found in 2009, it has since been repaired by Benjamin Heckendorn, a YouTube personality known for his console repair videos. It now has the ability to play music CDs like the commercially produced PlayStation, but there is no proprietary software that's known to have been made during the prototype's development. It, uh, It has two Super Nintendo controller ports on the front and the auction includes a controller that I mean, it, looking at it, it like it—it it kind of breaks my brain just because I'm so familiar with that controller. It's a Super Nintendo controller, but it has the Japanese green, blue, yellow, and red colored buttons, and in the middle there's a big Sony logo and a big PlayStation logo. But to the left of the PlayStation logo is the Super Famicom four circles logo. It is so bizarre to look at. The site handling the auction, Heritage Auctions, keeps the bidder's names private, but Oculus founder Palmer Luckey says on Twitter that he is one of the bidders. On February 13th, Luckey tweeted with a link to the auction, I am currently the highest bidder on this. Who are the other nutters who keep bidding against me? And followed up with a tweet saying, The Nintendo PlayStation is very, very cool, but I can only think of a handful of other people who would think it's 300k worth of cool. The auction ends on March 6th, so we will have to see how much the thing actually sells for then. It is certainly a weird and fascinating piece of video game history. Turns out you don't have to report your Fortnite virtual currency to the IRS. Apparently, there was a short period of time where the IRS expected taxpayers to report Fortnite, V-Bucks, and Roblox purchases on their taxes... But the IRS rolled it back about as quickly as it instituted it. CNN business reporter Brian Fung reported on the strange oversight, writing, "...the little notice provision, which dated back at least to October, according to the cached version of an IRS webpage on archive.org, appeared to mark the first time the agency has ruled on video game currencies, including Fortnite's V-Bucks, purchased with real dollars." By applying the same policy to in-game money that it enforces on Bitcoin, Ether, and other cryptocurrencies, the IRS guide seemed poised to affect millions of gamers or their parents. But on Wednesday, the IRS scrubbed all mentions of the in-game currency from the webpage after questions from CNN and other outlets about the policy. Despite the sudden deletion, experts believe the transactions involving video game currencies will still need to be reported from under a new question the IRS is including this year on tax forms. Just because the IRS deleted the language, they said, does not resolve questions about how the IRS plans to treat video game currencies. Allison Verspill with Bloomberg reported that IRS Chief Counsel Michael Desmond said, it was corrected and that was done quickly, as soon as it was brought to our attention. And then the IRS released an official statement saying, the IRS recognizes that the language on our page potentially caused concern for some taxpayers. We have changed the language in order to lessen any confusion. Transacting in virtual currencies as part of a game that does not leave the game environment, virtual currencies that are not convertible would not require a taxpayer to indicate this on their tax return. I think the, the weirdest part of this story is just the fact that the IRS has singled out Fortnite. I guess that means like what? <laughs> once, once the government takes notice, I mean, that, that means like it's no longer cool at that point right i mean is this does this mark the sort of the decline of Fortnite's popularity is that the irs noticed it and potentially included it in tax documents i don't know we'll see what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. The official Pokemon Twitter account recently teased the silhouette of a new Pokemon, which is, which is always exciting. The tweet just says, new Pokemon discovered, question mark, exclamation point, and then it says, stay tuned, trainers. And then there is a who's that Pokemon style silhouette that seems to have Greninja feet, big claws, a little barbed tail, and hair that looks a little like Dr. Robotnik's mustache. Twitter user at Taco, T-A-H-K-O, tweeted a picture showcasing similarities between the teased silhouette and some promotional art for the 23rd Pokemon movie, Pokemon Coco. So there's there's probably some overlap there. The movie probably features whatever this Pokemon is predominantly, I would imagine. Pokemon is celebrating Pokemon Day on February 27th, so that's probably when we will learn more about it. Here are today's new releases. Corruption 2029 is a new strategy game releasing on the Epic Games Store for 19 that looks like it is in the vein of the uh, XCOM reboot. It comes from the bearded ladies, the studio behind the 2019 strategy game Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden, a game that was generally well-liked. I also neglected to mention Snack World, the dungeon crawl gold last week, which came out on Friday, February 14th. It's, a, it's an interesting release to me because it is developed and published by Level 5. Level 5 makes, you know, Professor Layton, Yokai Watch and Ni- and the Nino kuni games and it's one of those franchises that was created from the start as this big multimedia juggernaut with anime and manga adaptations all being created in tandem with the video game. The game itself is an RPG with randomized dungeons and it has this super bright and colorful art style and the humor is all based around food puns. Level 5 seems very confident in it, but I'm curious to see if anyone finds it and likes it here in the United States. I've been actively tracking the review feedback, episode to episode, for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I mean, we'll we'll see how long <laughs> I'll make this a regular segment, but it looks like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is currently sitting at 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, so... It dropped a bit, but the, the real reason I'm bringing it up is because I went and saw it, and it was fun. It's not a great movie by any means, but there were a few jokes I laughed at. The story made sense and was consistent, and I believe that Sonic and James Marsden's character, whose name is dangerously close to Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc., genuinely cared about each other. And there is a fun mid-credits tease that I, I won't spoil. I will say though, I was a little confused by the opening of the movie, specifically with the character that serves as Sonic's sort of adoptive parent. As far as I know, and I'm not a Sonic expert by any means, I don't think the character has ever been present in Sonic lore, save for maybe the comics or something. And that and that character like appeared in the beginning and was gone very quickly. It was a little strange, but I imagine we'll learn more about that character in a potential future sequel which seems all but guaranteed as the movie had a, a strong opening weekend. It set a record for the biggest opening of any video game movie ever made, which, I mean, I'm surprised that it beat Detective Pikachu. I actually, I don't know who the record holder was before, but I really thought that Detective Pikachu was just going to wipe the floor with everybody just because Pokemon is like literally the biggest franchise in the world, period. Uh, but hey, good job, Sonic. Good job. You, you did it, man. I'm proud of you. I think we're hitting a point now with video game movies where the people making them are the are the people who grew up playing video games and understanding them. And now they're taking them seriously. It's fun to see movie adaptations of properties you love. So so I hope the success of movies like Detective Pikachu and Sonic encourages filmmakers to try some more and to take them seriously. That's that's the important part. I'm still waiting for a genuinely great video game movie, but I am happy to settle for good and inoffensive for the time being. And uh, that's probably the last time I will talk about the Sonic movie, until the sequel gets announced. So as you're listening to this, today this episode marks the official launch and release of this thing. So this is probably the first episode you're listening to. So I just wanted to say, thank you for giving it a shot. If you're curious for a more technical breakdown of what the show is and who I am and my history, I would recommend going back and listening to the very first episode from February 13th. And if this is your first episode, please let me know what you think of all of this. I want the Gaming Ride Home podcast to evolve and change as the show moves forward, and I want to make sure I am covering the things you want to learn about. So please give me all your feedback, and I want corrections as well. I want corrections also. If I'm incorrect about something, please, you know, politely let me know. The more polite you are, the more likely I am to, you know, profusely thank you and give you a shout out. I also want to read your emails and questions and answer them potentially on the show. So please send those to me as well. Your questions. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Kyle M Hilliard and my DMs are open. So you can send me a message that way, or you can send me an email. My email address for the show is kyle at ridehome.info. Thanks to Brian McCullough and James Welsh for everything related to this show. And thanks to Joel Moore, who made all the music for the Gaming Ride Home podcast. I will talk to you more about video games tomorrow.